likes sushi? Not me. That me. Me, 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 me. Yeah, we're going to talk about sushi in this episode, among other things. All right. So this is an episode, a special episode, where we're going to talk about just films that we've been watching recently, or not so recently, just films that we haven't had the opportunity really to discuss on, on the podcast. So here goes. We're going to go with kind of like a, however many items we have, just a bunch of movies that we could think of in a sort of a short time period that we would recommend for our audience or not or then not because not all films in my list are recommendations same <laughs> so, some real shit has been attempted during during the like my, my list covers a year and a half now that's the time frame year and which a half. i've watched movies on my list yeah Right. I noticed that we haven't made any of these catch-up episodes before where we would talk about qui- really quickly, like at like in, in minimum, in just a couple of sentences, some of the other shit that we watch outside of the lab. And, well, since we are now officially, I guess, failing to stay relevant, See how we have been covering Oscars after the Oscars. <laughs> well, I, I I guess this is as, as good time as any to actually, you know, do uh, do also a catch-up episode. Yeah. Where do you want to catch it from? I know. I can I can start from something that I just recently watched. Uh, actually, I re-watched this one. And my films are not in any particular order, but the first item on my list is, is Bad Company okay. from 1995. It's a movie that I've, I've seen once already. I perhaps have it also as a VHS, which I bought dirt cheap. If I bought it, I don't completely remember. But anyways, I've seen it once before. I found it on streaming. It's on Disney Plus now. Mm-hmm. And it, it has Lawrence Fishburne. It has Frank Angela and... Uh, Frank Langella and Angela Bennett. And it comes from the genre of basic instinct sort of shit was a thing once. And it's really mediocre. I, I, I remember that it's not great. It's not any type of a classic. I didn't remember that it was this mediocre. It's basically, it's, uh, it, it's like neo-noir, ex-CIA man played by Fisburne, Infiltrates into into some type of a corporate espionage f- firm called the Toolshed, which does like blackmail, perhaps murder. I don't exactly know what the toolbox does. Nobody knows either. It's some type of a like like free market black ops firm or outfit that sells its its, its services to the the companies, the rich companies. Like if you have a lawsuit that's going to cost you like twenty five million, you can you can hire the tool shed to blackmail the judge on that case to vote vote for you and against the plaintiffs and stuff like that. And then there is some type of a I wanna steal the tool shed for myself. And CIA is also wants the tool shed and 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 some sex happens and there's one murder and it's actually nothing to to write home about. So not exactly on par with Lawrence Fishburne's other resume, such as The Matrix or Mystic River. Most definitely not Mystic River or The Matrix. 
extremely skippable. However, I, I don't know if if you wanna see somewhat young Lawrence Fishburne do something. Yeah, still, still skippable. It it tries to to kind of play up the the sex sex appeal at aspect. Uh, Sharon Stone show her showed her Gucci, even though accidentally. Or as as the story goes, the director was supposed to cut it out on the final film, and then then you know just left left the frames there in the in the final print also. So bad company does the exact same thing, except this time it does does it on purpose. Like Angela Bassett shows her Gucci here and does it precisely, I would say, because it also happened in Basic Instinct. Nice poster, like cut of the faces. One guy is extremely black in this one, or at least contrasted in such a way, and then the and the white girl is extremely white in here. Yeah, it's it's kind of like like light and dark. Yep. It's just, I I don't know ambiguity. I guess something because wet works and CIA and and undercover. And... Anyways, Beautiful. yeah, no recommendation. <laughs> right. Well, let's get to the TV series then. I have to mention one that I really wish that we could have covered like hundred years ago. There's a few problems though. Well, it's Korean. We already do Korean so much. And if we would watch it, it would take at least, I don't know, 10 hours to watch. So yeah. But it's extracurricular. And actually, I did a video of it, like a video review, but it's not available anywhere because I'm kind of working on my own YouTube channel, which is either going to pop up at some point or not. I'm kind of doing like this kind of a storage of videos for it. So at least have like five videos before you even publish the whole channel. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense, does it? But uh, extracurricular. Yeah, it's a South Korean TV series starring uh, Kim Dong-e, who plays Jisoo. He's like a top student in a class, but he's not an ordinary student who just happens to score extremely high scores at his school and be a perfectly spotless student because he also runs an illegal business, an illegal brothel, in fact. And he's running with running it with a couple of schoolmates as well. And unfortunately, through some circumstances, he goes into a position, lands into a position where he has to collaborate with one of his co-students in this business. And all hell breaks loose, of course, and all the all the loose ends start to show show up, and things get extremely interesting. So yeah, it's a person living a double life. This is kind of listed as a teen drama, crime drama. It's absolute nail-biting moment-filled series. And still after like, what is it now? Almost like two years since I saw it and when it came out. And yeah, almost to the day. And still, it's one of my top recommendations at the moment. So yeah, absolutely go check it out on Netflix. Complete thriller uh, roller coaster ride that will not let you let you out of that world. Amazing, go watch. Speaking of a Asian shit, I watched Hentai Carmen, Forbidden Superhero, which also is a it's a hard farming coming of age story of a young school uh, schoolboy who finds out that whenever he pulls w women's underwear over his head, he turns into a superhero. 
<laughs> it was an absolute fucking blast. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's like hour and forty five minutes of sexual harassment and rape jokes, and it was it was actually one of the more invigorating stuff that I've seen. Why does this sound so much like what Henrik would watch? <laughs> Perhaps because 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 I'm I'm because I'm a man of a delicate taste and culture. <laughs> yeah, like in in the podcast, most of the time you seem to be very delicate and I mean consuming a lot of very uh, sophisticated culture, but then on your own time. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a absolutely tongue in cheek may may really trashy and and not at all subtle film and it was actually it, it honestly was was the one of the more interesting takes on superhero that i've seen in some time american i presume no it's it's uh japanese oh japanese <laughs> all right well then i would like to recommend a film called ujo or that's the czech name ujo the ear it's a Czech film directed by Karel Kaczynia, which was shot and uh, at least completed in 1970. But the thing where things when things go really interesting is that this film was banned by the Communist Party at the time, and it was it somehow survived for all those years under the communist rule. But then when the communist regime fell, it was released <laughs> like. 19 years later, in 1989, finally. And it tells about this married couple who goes into a communist regime party, having some fun there. They return home and then they notice that there's a lot of several strange occurrences, like somebody wiretapping and listening on them and something suspicious going on. And it's basically a film about being surrounded, in your mind at least, about this, this constant paranoia. Somebody's watching you. Are they really watching you or not? type of a scenario. Extremely uh, exciting thriller. One of the top films that were was suggested for me to be to be watched from Czech Republic. Uh, so definitely check it out. Recommendation, wholehearted. Also a film that deserves a recommendation, even though not as warm. It's, it's kind of a mid-tier recommendation, but till death. The, the recent feature presentation from Megan Fox, which I watch just to you know check out if i would gain the odd chance of seeing see some tit i did not but the film was actually surprisingly good and i have to admit that i don't know what has happened but at some point megan fox also has apparently learned finally how to act <laughs> at least passably uh till death is a thriller film it's once again it's from the from the genre of house invasion with an X where Axe is, well, whatever happens to be the gimmick this time. Um, in this case, it's the the fact that Megan Fox does not have shoes, and it's like 50 degrees cold outside. And also, she's been handcuffed to, to her dead husband. And it's it's like one of those, those close-paced thrillers that the whole film mostly, well, essentially happens just inside one house. Uh... And then there is like like uh, a boat shelter right next to the house, and that's like the the territory that you are trapped with. And there are a couple of killers chasing after her, and she has to somehow figure out 
you know, how to evade the killers and how to escape while at the same time also being handcuffed to the corpse of her husband. And it's nothing mind-blowing, to be honest, but it it rides its gimmick surprisingly well. It gets it kept a couple of cool scenarios, couple of cool ideas out of out of its gimmick, which is more than these type of films usually do, and it does manage to maintain its tension throughout it throughout its running time. So overall, it really was a pleasant surprise, but it's nothing like it, it's nothing that you have to see. But it's kind of a, like if if you are in a mood for kind of simple, kind of quick thriller movie. In the, in that case, yeah, till death. It fills that gap. It's a nice way to kill one evening and nothing more. Hmm. All right. Where is this available, this gem? Uh, I managed to see it on Viaplay, which is a Finnish streaming service. Yeah, there's like uh, Nordic sister pieces to that. I believe it's available in Denmark, Sweden, Norway, at least those. Yeah, I really don't know how Viaplay works, but uh, it is a Nordic platform. But then again, the, the libraries can differ, differ between even those countries, so I don't know. Yeah. Streaming is a nightmare these days. It is. Always has been, really. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to see the previously mentioned Ujo the Ear, I think you just have to buy the, the DVD, which you can find on... I, I think you can really easily find it on Google Search. There's a store that, sell, store that sells specifically Czech-made films, so yeah, they will send it from Czech Republic to you pretty quickly. Uh, well, then I would recommend most definitely a film from 2014 called Whiplash. Maybe you have also seen it. Uh, I haven't, but I've heard of it. It's the just drummer thing. Absolutely. Or yes. then it's what happened in the latest Oscars. Yeah, it's uh, directed by Damien Giselle. To be honest, I, I don't even know what's the, the Oscar situation of this film. Just happened to come across it, and I was extremely pleasantly surprised. So yeah, it's about a jazz drummer, Andrew, and he is trying to compete in a band uh, led by an instructor in Schaffer Conservatory, this fictional conservatory, and tries to kind of survive in that environment where uh, this strict band leader named Simmons is giving a really, really rough time for the guy, always trying to push the boundaries to the amount that it's getting really abusive. And so he, the guy just kind of has to ha- has to find some kind of a answers and balance and what to do with this guy and should I continue with my training or should I find something else. Really, really extremely well-built drama. I forgot the flow of time completely watching this. Anyway, yeah, go watch it wherever it is available. I have no idea. And speaking of watching something that is... Wherever it's available, I recommend The Guilty. It's 2018 Danish crime thriller film directed by Gustav Möller, who's a director that I have no previous experience with. And it's a really effective, extremely small, really simple crime thriller. Basically following one dude in one room who spends the entire film talking to a phone. and. It was an absolute blast. It was also in, in Viaplay, that's where I checked it out. 
uh, it has since left it. I don't know if it's Netflix on Netflix these days. Netflix did produce the the recent remake. It's done by the Yanks. It has Jake Gyllenhaal, and I couldn't give a shit. But you know, I I don't know. Maybe maybe you find that Danish original also in Netflix. Not a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal beauty, are you? No. I have not nothing against Jake Gyllenhaal, but I don't see any reason why the, why in the Nine Hells I should watch the remake. Big eyes. Huh? Big eyes of Jake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does not enough for me, unfortunately. No. Uh, like I, I, I know Gyllenhaal is a capable actor, but yeah, I, I just I'm not interested in the American remake at all. I saw the original, and that's. That's more than enough for me. I don't even believe that. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I like right after saying this and right after we close the recording, I get drunk and I accidentally check out also the remake from Netflix. <laughs> but I uh, having seen the original, I don't really know what the hell the original, uh, what the hell the remake would be adding to the original. Right. It's also the remake comes from now late stage Antoine Fugua who is a director who, in my opinion, has actually lost his thunder. All right. Well, it's time to go to something really super obscure. Uh, at least I'm not aware that this, this film would have been in any center spotlight or having won any awards or any special attention like that. But uh, it's a Japanese film called Rainbow Song or Niji no Megami from 2006, directed by Naoto Kumazawa. Um, uh, it's about uh, a person called Tomoya Kishida, who is working as a staffer in a television studio, and then hears about the death of a close friend, and this then sparks a recollection of events, uh, and and this kind of kickstarts the events. It's basically a kind of like a love story between man and a woman, where they are for years, kind of avoiding each other or being very conservative towards and scared of showing the, their true colors, their true feelings towards, towards each other. And so, yeah, you will then have to wait for the movie to get to the point where it will show you how that went well. Okay, in, in my list, in order to get into some, some more recent stuff, I went out and I checked out Killer, Killer Model Toro's newest, Nightmare Alley which was also competing in the Oscars this year. And yeah, it was actually really good film. Uh, not his best, not as, as perhaps groundbreaking as something like the Panza Labyrinth was, but still, still really well made, really beautiful, magnificent set pieces, especially during the, 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 the circus moments of the film. There's like this, this, um, haunted tunnel, the uh, kind of kind of like like ghost house ride where you can walk through uh, through the set and it's framed uh, according to the seven deadly sins and that really is a like there's, there's a night nighttime scene that takes place in in that set and it's like the cinematography is really top notch during that overall great performances good cinematography great directing. Nothing really like 
astonishing on the story front. It's very much a, a genre film, very basic neo-noir story. It's a fall from grace. Man comes up from nothing, reaches the heights, and then plummets to the ground, and you just kind of witness the, the roller coaster, coaster that he goes through. But as a genre piece, it's it's actually really effective. It's more uh, on scale of Del Toro. It's it's more Crimson Peak than Pan's Labyrinth, if mm. if that's a scale that you know. Mm. But overall, if if you are in a mood for effective and easily going, I didn't notice how long this lasted. Type of a genre piece. Yeah, I recommend Nightmare Alley. Yeah, we still haven't watched any Guillermo del Toro, even though you seem to be a fan. I, yeah, I like pretty much everything that the dude has made. All right, some more TV series for you. And again, from Korea, what can I do? They push so amazing material lately. So so this one is Move to Heaven. It's also on Netflix, or Move to Heaven, if you wish. Uh, South Korean TV series uh, starring... Lee Jae-hoon, we have seen previously in this podcast in that heist film, Time to Hunt. And it's about an autistic boy, basically, who runs uh, his now late father's business. It's kind of like this company called Move to Heaven, which is like a trauma cleaner company. To be honest, I, I suppose these kind of companies exist in real life, I'm not sure, but it's like... They go to clean up the house of somebody who recently deceased. They put stuff in the boxes, throw out the stuff that is not needed. But on top of that, they also get very emotionally attached to these death cases. And then they try to find some kind of a closure for the family or, or the people who are close to the deceased person. And it gets really, oh boy, oh boy really emotional and extremely well-built drama. Just absolutely fantastic once again. I don't say that so much for TV series or any movies lately, but extracurricular that I mentioned before and Move to Heaven have been some of my highlights of the past few years. Okay. To also jump into the TV series category, I watch, uh, I watch Gladys, which is the late, latest misfire from Alex Kurtzman who tries to be J.J. Abrams, but just fucking can't. Uh, Clarice is the curious case of... Uh, Clarice is, a, is the curious case of, of a Silence of the Lambs spin-off sequel TV series that, series that has no rights to actually the character of Hannibal Lecter. So it's a spin-off sequel that does it absolute best to avoid any mentions towards Hannibal Lecter. <coughs> and only refers to him as your previous case, or that one shrink who eats people and, and stuff like that. Tries to use, use like, it can't avoid, since it's a sequel, a spin-off, it can't avoid completely, you know, Lecter as a character. So it tries to use every possible verbal shorthand in order to state to the audience we're talking about Hannibal Lecter without saying the bloody name 
but then also because the, this character they actually managed to get the rights because uh, and this is due to the rights of the silence of the lambs movie being divided by two studios so studio a owns owns these characters and studio b owns <coughs> hannibal lecter and the rest of the cast it then the clarice <coughs> uh, then clarice uh starts and starts to milk the buffalo bill character which is someone who he who the series name drops almost in every single episode and it's like buffalo bill case this buffalo bill case that you are in the shadow of buffalo bill i do remember what happened during the buffalo bill case etc 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 it's a kind of a clusterfuck to watch <laughs> it tries to be some type of a like like Hannibal game out the TV series and and it like became a major hit not enough for it to continue past season was it three but still it has a cult following and it's fondly remembered and Clarice tries to do the same bloody thing or it tries to be the next Hannibal without the aesthetic eye of Hannibal and Clarice, or the other, and Clarice on its own part, it tries to be more down to earth, more more dark and moody and realistic. Uh, it's just like, ah, why the fuck am I even watching this? That overall, the the own mystery that Clarice show has, which revolves around illegal medical trials, is not really even that interesting. And there's not that many serial killers in the series and then it kind of a it, it's just it's just episode after episode them chasing after a lesser mystery which is the chemical trials plot and then in the final episode it tries to be like oh yeah we have like a super serial killer case in our hands etc 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 and it's absolutely mediocre you still lived it through i i watched it to the end out of obligation <laughs> just to see it how it ended it it's it took me like it, it it was once again it was a series that was in in those episode per week release schedule in via, via play and i i started to watch it when 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 the run started so episode one aired and i watched it episode two aired and i watched it and at some point i just fall off the bandwagon <laughs> And then there was like, like a seven-month gap after which I just, you know, just quickly watched the rest of the episode just to get the, the series over with. And yeah. it was not worthy of my time. It's not terrible. It's not terrible TV, but it's really mediocre. And the character of Clarice, which is the titular character and the carryover from The Silence, is actually really not interesting as a as its own character her boss is more interesting than clarice herself so go figure <laughs> all right well i have also my moments where i watch a couple of episodes of a tv series then i'm like well uh, should i maybe give it another go another go another go and then this goes on for maybe a couple of months maybe even half a year and then probably I will never never finish it. But that's not the case with Itaewon Class. Again, a South Korean TV series that I did watch some time ago. From 2020, <clears throat> Itaewon Class, it's basically a story about <coughs> a kid who um, goes, to, goes to prison for something that he did 
and he's released from prison and he's like, I'm going to change my life over. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to build a, build a restaurant. And then he builds like a complete local team of friends around the restaurant to work for him. And at the same time, he's competing with this huge restaurant franchise owner in the Itaewon or Seoul area. And he's using really dirty means of staying in the business when he notices that that Itaewon class business seems to be rolling on, rolling along a little little bit too well and seems to be starting to maybe cause some kind of a bite into the huge franchise owner's business. So uh, there's this this kind of going on throughout this throughout the series. Yeah, it was just a very interesting, very different subject matter for a TV series I found and and it under the surface there's a lot going on perhaps politically perhaps how people's attitudes are about foreigners in South Korea all kinds of things so yeah it's also on Netflix for easy access recommended and then next item on my list is the latest Candyman film which, despite its name, is not about child molesters. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a sequel to the original Candyman that, in my opinion, kind of just forgets the parts two and three, which is a, actually a really good decision, because fuck those movies. Yeah. And uh, this one is an honest and semi-capable attempt to somehow follow in the shadow of Candyman. It's... Very current film, openly political, just like was the original one. But at the same time, it's not as effective in any front. It's it's con- completely okay follow-up, but it never kind of uh, raises above okay. And th- there are several reasons for this. Uh, the first one of which, of course, is the lackluster usage of Tony Todd. The original player or uh, actor uh, player of of the uh, character Candyman, who barely is in this movie, like makes makes a quick cameo, mm. and that's all. But that's not not the main problem that it has. Uh, it more is that that the problem more comes from the fact that a this is not as as effective as a horror film in my opinion. It does have a Semi-clever idea where where the point is that Candyman can only be seen in mirrors once you summon him. And kind of, he, he's, he's, the film kind of paints him as a character who lives through them, the mirrors in the same way as, like, for example, Freddy Krueger lives through the nightmares. <clears throat> and much like the nightmare films, um, the recent Candyman kind of just can't make up its bloody mind with, with the question, is Candyman only in uh, only through mirrors, or when the mirrors or some reflective surface is, is present, or is he uh, also a co- completely physically capable but invisible ghost whenever you don't have a reflective surface? And the second problem that the film has is that its political messaging is not as strong as it was with the first film. Both of these movies, the original and the, and the sequel, they they uh, talk a lot about 
systematic oppression and especially the systematic racist oppression of the blacks. And where the original film kind of was about this question constantly, it it was like a, the, the main set piece of that movie was Caprini Green, was, which mm-hmm. was a black housing project that was absolutely run to the shit by those in power because it was mostly, it was, it was a, like a back neighborhood and therefore the cities deemed it as, as less important and not worthy of the upkeep and the money. So of course it went to the dogs and Candyman talked a lot about this aspect, like how the society has, has fared the blacks and the Candyman remake only goes to Caprini Green itself like two or three times and then it tries to be like the, the recent police on black violence it tries to be some type of a like a rallying cry much in the same way as for example the choker was supposed to be for the poor and the underclass and it tries to like it just kind of can't stay constantly on the point it's a the remake is a case where every now and then somebody makes a state a political statement and then the movie just kind of drops it. And then there comes the next moment, somebody makes a statement, and then the movie once again drops its its political theming. And it also tries extremely heavily, like, make this, uh, the character of Candyman a symbol of, of black oppression. Mm. And basically all the black oppression. And it's absolutely in your face about this so like in in the remake Candyman is like a manifestation of different victims of black oppression you have one guy who gets beaten by the cops his death and then there's a one kid the film never actually explains what happened to the kid but somehow got got killed by the whitey and the, the overall theme is that Candyman can be a specter or some type of a like a vengeful spirit of the oppressed blacks that the blacks can and there's a like a like a, a attempt to weaponize the Candyman myth to work against the, the oppressing whites and the white system so that blacks could through Candyman somehow earn their freedom from the the, the oppressive social systems. And it just kind of is the same point that the original film already made. Now the, the remake is, is just kind of a revisiting the same theme. Like the original myth of, a candy, of Candyman is, is a black artist who gets murdered because he dared to love a white woman. And that was like a wrong thing to do during those times. So the black oppression has always been with the character of Candyman, but the remake is kind of like constantly in your face. Like, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? The film is about about racial tensions in America and the systematic objection of, of the blacks. And it just does not work as well as the original. Still, still, it's not a terrible film. By any means, if if you want to check it out, if you like the original and you get the cravings, you really want to check the remake, out, uh, the sequel out, by all means, you know, go ahead. It's not like lost. The time is not lost on you. And it on occasion, it manages to make some really poign- poignant statements, especially when it, during the moment, there's a moment that criticizes the, the young artists. And how how the artists 
despite their race, benefit from the, the oppression of black neighborhoods, because that means that the, the apartment rent in those neighborhoods, they, they, it hits rock bottom because absolutely nobody wants to live there. So the artists can then move into these neighborhoods and, you know, take dirt cheap apartments as their studio apartments. And that was a really good point and, and a point that the original did not make. So it's it's not like completely lost and completely worthless in its, in its political statements, but still it's not as strong, it's not as poignant as was the, was the original. So if you have to choose between, you know, the recent sequel or the original film, my recommendation, is, of course, is, you know, check out the original. But if you want to check out also the, the most recent Candyman, and, you know, go ahead. It's kind of like a uh, recommendation. All right. Maybe I'll check it at some point. I kind of like the, the original, even though it was nowhere near perfect film. Kind of made on, made on the cheap. And the acting was kind of out of place. But yeah, overall, one of those childhood favorites. The 800 is my next film. It's a Chinese war drama film from Guan Hu. This was the second highest grossing film of 2020, the cursed year. Well, actually, the the first worldwide grosser of year 2020 was, interestingly enough, a Japanese animated film Demon Slayer the movie, Mujin Train, which absolutely nobody has ever heard of, I suppose, around these parts. But The 800, yeah, a historical war drama, which tells about the defense of Sihang Warehouse in 1937 uh, in Shanghai when the Chinese NRA troops are fighting during the Battle of Shanghai and the Second Sino-Japanese War. So this is interesting perhaps for multiple aspects, but, but in the way that it's coming from the Chinese perspective, of course, Chinese perspective of the war, of those battles, and it gives it a very nationalistic, very, very proud image. On the other side, you have this a poor neighborhood that is fighting for their survival are fighting in the war and then across the river you have the rich people uh, who, who are doing fine and there is this constant contrast between these sides and then interesting moments happen but all in all yeah if you're into checking out some chinese history japanese history uh, highly recommended of course it goes on for very long, and I think it's dragging. And but the, for some artistic pieces such as cinematography, you can definitely enjoy it. The one part that maybe stands out the most as an issue, if any, if you want to see it that way, anyways, is that there is no lead character per se, and it just really jumps all over the place when it's following its characters, and not in in, in very balanced way in such as maybe some unknown soldier adaptation uh, it's just kind of yeah taking a lot of screen time for one piece of character and then just discards it later and it's very very long uh, as i recall uh well okay it's not as long as i remembered 147 minutes but yeah if you can get your hands on it check it out to keep my list more on american and, and western perspective I also checked out Death on the Nile, which is a Kenneth Branagh's sequel to his previous film, Murder on the Orient Express, which is 
the now current string of Agatha Christie film adaptations, and it was not as good as as Murder on the other on the Orient Express, which was also kind of meh detective really? thriller. Uh, Death on the Nile essentially is kind of trying trying to give backstory to Hercule Poirot's mustache and also work as a as a film segue as a bridge to Poirot losing his mustache it's it's more of a film in service of, of the main character's mustache than, than in anything else i was kind of interested to to see this film simply to see how how Poirot can crack the case where a young woman has been murdered when we all know that Army Hammer has already eaten all the evidence. And well, well, the twist is no, Army Hammer this time he didn't cannibalize anybody. So kind of like, yeah, it happened. It's it's not a bad film. Like it, it doesn't do anything terribly wrong, except it's at times atrocious green screen backgrounds which are so hokey that you can't believe that they are in a Hollywood film and also the fact that the, it's a movie that was in production hell for for number of years the cinematography if I remember correctly ended in in 2019 and after that it has just been in in like all on the shelf mostly because of of covid until it finally this day uh, this year it finally was quickly released to the movie theaters and then it went to streaming. And having seen the film, I really don't wonder why that was the case. Because it's not it's not that good. Once again, like much like Murder on the Orient Express, it's an it's an ensemble cast film. But this time the cast is not as as star powerful as as it was in the case of, of Orient Express. Like Orient Express was like the A tier, and this time we are dealing with the B tier tier actors. The most well known, perhaps, being Galgadot and and Army Hammer, and and of course Branagh, who also acts the titular the, the main role of Poirot here on top of his his directing duties. Not a terrible film, or or nothing nothing that you should avoid watching. But if you didn't see it in the theaters you didn't actually miss anything and it most definitely it's currently on disney plus and it's not something that you absolutely have to see you can kind of kill two hours with it and there are a couple of a couple of really nice shots in in the movie but outside of that it's basically everything in it is just serviceable and nothing more right well, I have to ask because it's only like maybe less than a year ago when I finally got off my ass and I watched Rebel Without a Cause. Have you seen it? I've seen it like ages ago. I don't remember it fairly well enough. I, I remember the ending, which is that Marlon Parado goes over the edge literally. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting culturally and where all this hype or fascination and inspiration has come from this whole this whole jacket famous jacket that james dean is wearing and it was replicated in many movies and all that jazz but personally i didn't 
think so much about the film itself. I wasn't meant to even really talk about it. It just crossed my mind right now that, hey, we haven't talked about James Dean here. That's about it. So what's next? Maybe a documentary for our listeners. We stay in the Asian region, although it's an American documentary film directed by David Gelb called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. So it follows Jiro Ono. He's at the time at least 85-year-old sushi master and uh, was at least previously a Michelin restaurant owner. So this sushi place for sure is a, is a Michelin place, uh, one of the most famous sushi restaurants in the world. He has kind of cultivated and mastered his craft to the freaking extreme. You can see how he makes sushi along with his son and what was it. But yeah, he's doing this family restaurant business. And the restaurant itself is not really anything that you would consider a Michelin restaurant. It's extremely small. If you have to go there, you have to sit in front of the desk where they produce the sushi and just look the sushi master in the eye while he's asking constantly, like, is it good? Did you like it? Any better? What do you want now? Something like that. So which can be a little aggravating for people who have social anxieties, etc. Nevertheless, it was really interesting to see how he goes to extreme lengths to get the most freshest and best possible fish available on the market and keeps complaining that it's every year it's harder and harder to find the, the great ingredients and the quality is really dropping lately. So he's kind of struggling with that part. But still, apparently produces some of the best, if not the best sushi in the entire planet Earth. So out of curio- curiosity about one, man, one man's perfection towards sushi, that's, yeah, always appreciate seeing that when people maximize their skills in some very tiny little front. Well, speaking of eatable items, I on my end, I checked out the, the new Wrong Turn film. Which, oh, uh... God. <laughs> well, from, from Army Hammer Ricket into more cannibals. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the latest Wrong Turn, it's how I don't many, know actually what it is. Is it like number twelve now? <laughs> what? It, it's it's I I guess numbers eight or seven. Okay. There, there has been like a boatload of these wrong turn movies, which all center around this this family of of some type of a backwood cannibal inbred cannibal family serial killers. It's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre without the chainsaw, and this time also not. Just Leatherface is ugly as shit. I actually haven't seen the previous Wrong Turns, even though I do, I'm, I'm f- like fairly familiar with the concept of the franchise. So this was the f- first Wrong Turn film that I ever, that I have ever seen. Oh. And it didn't have a cannibal scene. Okay. Like none. Oh, well certainly yeah. in the beginning of the series, you have them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have, you have cannibals. In every single wrong turn film, except now the, the, in this latest one, okay. wrong turns from part one to, to part X are cannibal serial killer movies. And now you have a new wrong turn, which is simply wrong turn. 
And there are still cannibals. Insert a wrong turn joke here. And then they basically, it seems like they, the whole franchise has taken a wrong turn here. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I guess it's a reboot of, of, of the franchise now. And it's it comes from, I, I, I would say, post-Get Out, Jordan Peele school of filmmaking. Like, it's, it's a movie that underneath its, its story, there's a really obvious commentary on the, the essence of, of, or the spirit of America and the real spirit of the America. Like, spoilers, the, the non-cannibal killers of the film, they, they are basically just a group of people who at some point, early point of, of, of American history, has seen that the America itself, America as a nation, will collapse and has seeked refuge from from these these deep woods where they have like created their own village that just revolves around them. And the point and their whole point is that they will just quietly wait that the America the or the other America will just eventually collapse and then they will kind of come out of the woods and repopulate America once again with, with healthy, strong children. And as a movie, it was actually surprisingly good. <laughs> it's, it's not like, like any kind of a like groundbreaking masterpiece in, in any sense. And it's, it's not really, really that much horror. There's some graphic violence, but not as much as I, I thought there would be. It actually takes its fair amount of time to act, finally get going and anything hostile to appear like mentioned there is no cannibals nobody gets eaten in this film it's just this one group of group of weirdos living in the woods and and bunch of annoying modern hipster hip uh, hitch uh, like backpackers and hikers who come in face to face face with this this i i guess it's a clan or community but overall, it's, it's musings around the spirit of America, even though, once again, extremely in your face, but weren't completely meritless. There were some nice ideas in there. I also liked a lot about the point that you don't actually get a confirmation on who the aggressor in this film is. Like, obviously, yeah, the, the tribe clansmen cult thingy, they, they form the the threat for our uh, uh, hiker main characters and they are the ones who commit the acts of, acts of violence here but you don't actually ever get uh, get a full confirmation on where these people ever actually like, like were they planning honestly to attack our main characters or is it just like a revenge thing that gets out of hand because the first actual confirmed murder happens because of the hikers so there might might also be like you you took us the wrong way and you attacked us and now this is the revenge you get double scenario like i said it's it's nothing groundbreaking and uh, no point at all that it makes in any way is like mind-blowingly deep and complex and something that you most definitely shouldn't miss if you wanna like watch a horror film with, with political musings, I would say that once again, the recent Candyman sequel is a stronger competitor, but it it wasn't terrible. 
It, it was perfectly watchable film, which was way more than I actually expected from it. All right. Well, if you if you haven't seen the first one, I think that's a perfectly passable pastime horror film. Nothing really groundbreaking, but definitely, yeah, you can pop it on on some Sunday night. Whereas the second one, Wrong Turn 2, was it, already seems to take, uh, but it really takes some real wrong turns there. The only thing I've happened to remember about that film is uh, is the very athletic lady, and it was somehow really important how she's doing <clears throat> 100 abs crunches per day. All right. Okay. I don't know, maybe I someday check out the Wrong Turn franchise, but it's just... For me, it's just game, and I have heard that the the first one is actually surprisingly good from the wrong turn films, and it kind of, I guess, the general consensus is that it goes downhill after the part two or three. Mm -hmm. But the first one, it just came out during the wrong time period. Like it, it came out when when Hostel come out, and and that with the Texas Chainsaw remake, etc., uh, etc. Et at some point, I was just kind of, kind of done. I had already seen the the Hillside Eyes remake and the Texas Chainsaw, and I had checked the ho uh, checked Hostel. So when 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 it came out, here is a horror film about you know backwoods cannibals. I was kind of like, yeah, who gives a shit? And <laughs> never checked the franchise. Right. Well, just so that people can't say that I'm completely avoiding American films, let's get one here. So this is a film from 1984 called Under the Volcano. And excuse me, but I think I haven't seen this film in close to 20 years, 19 years. Whew. I probably was 70 when I saw this film. And here it's uh, uh, it starred by Albert Finney, directed by John Huston. John Huston, who said that, he's, that Albert Finney's performance in this film must be the best performance perhaps uh, that he has ever witnessed let alone directed so take of that what you will but this struck me real I, I had a really highly strongly emotional response to this film back in the day well you can imagine how much patience i must have had as a 17 year old i don't know if i have much now but i mean back then watching this extremely slow-paced film about a, a self-destructive British consul in Mexico on the eve of World War II. It's basically just a film that follows for, what is it, one and a half hours, two hours, this drunken guy who just rambles on on the screen, talking about absolutely what seems to be, at, at least 20 years ago, seemed to be like a complete waste of the audience's time, but would most definitely warrant a, a rewatch. Somehow, even 20 years on, I'm just sometimes going back to the profile of the film and thinking, hmm, maybe I should just look it up and see if it is actually as complete dog shit as I felt at the time. But now that I have had way more exposure to slow cinema and things like that, maybe it would be a much more enjoyable experience. But yeah, basically, drunken guy wanders on around the city and has some relationship issues on the way. So maybe check it out if you're into that kind of thing. And jumping from drunken guys, my next item on my list is VHS Viral, which is the third film in the VHS franchise. 
Oh which is an anthology um, horror film franchise. But usually the gimmick is there the three short stories and then there's the, the fourth one, which is a wraparound. And I really have liked the, uh, the previous two VHSs and this is my second time checking viral. Because I, I coming to this, mostly I checked it out because VHS 94 has recently come out. Oh, recently and recently, but you know, semi recently. It's on Shutter, so I can't see it currently, but I'm waiting for it to come into other streaming services. But seeing how VHS 1984 started to, like the talk started to circulate in the circles, I, I started kind of reminiscing on VHS Viral. I noticed that I just can't, like, I'm, I, I was. 100% certain that I have seen it, but I just couldn't remember anything from the film. So I decided to re-check it out, and I couldn't finish that fucking thing. <laughs> it was absolutely abysmal experience. It's unwatchable trash in every single level. I, I, I even, like, I started to watch it, I get it to, like, Got to the halfway point, I, I had to, you know, switch it off. Uh, a couple of days later, I tried to continue. I didn't get much further. And after, you know, in, in total, something like four tries, three tries, three tries, I gave it to it. And I just didn't get to the end. Absolutely, like, fucking disastrous movie. The horror doesn't work. The comedy doesn't work. It's not scary. It's not atmospheric. Uh, one plotline is some asshole who get, gets like a like a magician's cape that lets him to do magic shit, and he uses it to be a serial killer or some stuff. And, and then there's another segment which is about uh, some some skaters who have to face off with Mexican zombies <laughs> or some shit. There's a one passable pa passable short in in the collection, and that's the one. The is it Spanish or Mexican one? The how however the point is that there's like a a dude is in his basement and manages to to open a portal into a mirror universe where he meets his his twin, and and surprise surprise the mirror universe is evil and that twin is evil, and it lasted like. Uh, Less than ten minutes, which which was absolutely the current run, uh, correct run uh, runtime for that segment, and it was the it, it's the only only story from the collection that is even somewhat watchable, and everything else is just abysmal trash. My God, there's a reason why I didn't remember anything from from my previous experience with the movie. And I absolutely re re regret revisiting the VHS viral. Avoid at all costs. <laughs> well, trash reminds me of a certain Polish film that had some international circulation, and it's I think also in Netflix. Three hundred and sixty-five days. This is kind of kind of semi-erotic film. Don't know if you have seen it, but absolute trash. Like bimbos getting romantically involved with these kind of player guys with a lot of money and absolutely the film makes no sense whatsoever it exists only for one reason to show some skin well uh, young girls getting on with player guys but they're not being any skin in this film the next item on my list is kid de de detective 
which is a neo-noir crime dark comedy thing which deals with with child molestation and pedophiles and it was absolutely like fucking grade a material it's kind of simple that the story revolves around like your your nancy true type of character because it's this this small town who has one of these kid detectives who solves these like like really minor crimes like who stole the ice cream cone and where, where did the dog disappear, etc., etc. Et and he's celebrated by, by the whole town as, as their local kid detective. And he, he has a, like, like, a, like a partner secretary, secretary who get, then disappears during, during one year. And then the story kind of picks up years after that moment when our kid detective has now grown up and is an, is an adult but hasn't actually been able to in in any way like evolve from from being the kid detective he's still the the local local pi who investigates these these non-crimes and just like has a really pathetic lifestyle where he's still cashing in on on you know the promise of free ice cream from your local ice cream man which is a reward he he earned during when he was like like a fifteen year old kid, and no nobody likes him. Everybody thinks that he's a pathetic loser, which he also is. And then there is a disappearance, which has a hint that this might be our main character's first murder case ever. And it might, if if it would turn out that it's a murder, then it actually could turn in, into this. This jumping off point career-wise for, for our detective. So he jumps into the case pro bono and decides to solve the case. And it gets into some pretty dark territories. It was... It was... The, the mystery was actually pretty effective. Uh, the, the detective part was, was not... Well, it, it was not a, not a complete strikeout. Uh, but somewhat at the end it just some jumps into a conclusion so i can rapid play a pace just so that it can close off the case and and finish the movie so there's that but outside of that minor fault the mystery is is pretty solid acting is good it is it is funny and it's it's sad at the same time and i absolutely do recommend it wow okay well interestingly continuing with the theme there's a a film called Silenced, once again from South Korea, what can I do? Called Togani, locally. Um, also translated to The Crucible, which is based on the novel The Crucible, as it happens. Film directed by Hwan Dong-hyuk and stars Gong Yu and Chung Yumi. This is a, based on the real events that took place in a school for the deaf, and the deaf students were victims of repeated sexual assaults and uh, all kinds of assaults in this. And then suddenly there's one outsider, person who comes to work as a teacher in the facility and seems that the rest of the teachers are either not willing to speak or they are in on the whole plot happening around the perimeters. But there is this new teacher who actually has some emotions and is able to help the kids out to a degree or 
So it seems at least. And yeah, this was really rough to watch. And it actually started a national dialogue about how to reform some, uh, do some legislative, legislative reforms so as to avoid these kind of incidents in the future. So watch it if you're into great cinematography and basically feeling terrible for two hours. Great film, though. Speaking of films that were rough to watch and made you feel miserable, I checked out the, the latest Grudge movie, or at least I tried because I couldn't finish the bloody thing, and I, I like restarted this one like five or seven times. <laughs> I gave this even more ghost than VHS viral, and I didn't make it to the end. <laughs> I'm 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 semi on board with with the first two original like Japanese matches, mm. but oh boy, did this one like suck so hard. The with crutch films, the thing is that the the storylines have always been absolutely lackluster. It's some asshole goes into the house. Oh my god! Now you are being now you are cursed, and the curse follows you, and there is a possibility that it will spread. In the Japanese one, it kind of eventually pours into this apocalyptic nightmare scenario where entire Japan eventually is engulfed by the curse as it spreads outside the house and just continues spreading like some type of a supernatural plague. And well, the latest American one also kind of tries to deal with it that or, or tries to, to deal with the same similar type of theme and goes absolutely nowhere. Like with the Japanese ones, the, the main story once again is Pretty much absolutely nothing, except this time the lackluster qualities of the story really started to piss me off. And I guess the main reason for that one is that the movie itself is not scary, except it just utilizes like five million jump scares. There you go. There's, yeah, there's no real terror, there's no real horror in this movie, not even real atmosphere. It's just like, like you know, every single jump scare that you can have just just you know crammed in there it's just jump scare jump scare jump scare jump scare it's the most unimaginative and the laziest jump scares even you that that you can have in your movie and the bombardment is constant to a point where after seven tries to to get the film like just to reach the end with the movie i finally just gave up and was like yeah, I'm gonna never finish the movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sometimes I wonder why you even bother with this typical horror movies coming from America or something that has been remade. I, I'm, I've seen so many that I don't really bother anymore to even entertain. Sometimes I wonder that myself also. Yeah. <laughs> well... But there are good ones in the mix every every now and then, and I guess those those are my my hook which hook which just gets uh, keeps me coming back every ten years or so. <laughs> mm, well, there's a film called Your Name Engraved Herein to pamper a little the LGBTQI plus and so forth audience. Uh, this was a actually a big hit in Taiwan. A romantic drama film directed by Patrick Kuang Hui Liu, 
and it has i believe these guys are pop stars or yeah uh chen haosen also known as edward chen is a singer and then the other lead part is of Jinhua Cheng. Okay, he might not be an, a singer. Anyway, these are these are having a great chemistry on on the screen. And this was a film that was the the highest grossing LGBT film in Taiwan's history, as well as the most popular Taiwanese film in 2020. Received numer numerous awards. It is quite quite a long film. Um, if memory serves, it was also 2020 when Taiwan got its LGBT uh, gay marriage law. So that was kind of a package deal, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it runs for 140 minutes. It depicts different phases in the lives of these two guys who meet in a school and start to get romantically interested in each other. But of course, the setting is um 1980s i believe and of course the, the the environment is much more harder for them to for them to realize their relationship in any way and there will be a lot of complications with that all the way but yeah a very emotional great soundtrack great music should be still on netflix okay to talk about average american horrors and why do i bother i checked out Empty Man, <laughs> from all the imaginative titles that you can just come up with, you get Empty Man. Yeah, not to be confused with Slender Man or Bye Bye Man or any other man that has recently crept out in the, the horror genre in the past years. And this was something that it's, it's based on comic books that I've never actually read myself. It's some type of a, like, I, I don't know, my, my understanding is that it's some type of a, like, a, like a mythological virus or some type of a, like, idea that transports itself and spreads like a virus or something in that vein. Uh, like I said, never read the comics. And for the most part, I just, you know, avoided Empty Man at all costs because, you know, it sounds a hell of a lot like Slender Man and other fucking Z-tier horror films. But I finally checked it out basically because it started to reach a cult following and it became a certain type of a cult film. So I finally decided to see what all the fuss was about and it was okay. It's not a groundbreaking film. It's over two hours as a horror film, which is a pretty fucking long. And the rumors persist that it may have been at some point planned out to be even longer. But anyways, the director had to like really fight for 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 the film's runtime, and the production company just buried the movie in, in its shelves and just released it on VOD, etc., etc., etc. So basically, everything that the company can do in order for you to not see it basically was done. So, because of that, not many have heard of it, but it, it kind of, a, it became a name in certain circles, so eventually decided to say, check it out. And like I said, it's, it's okay. The story is, is semi-interesting, even though nothing to truly write home about. 
it's a the young girl goes missing. So her mom asks our main character ex-cop, if I remember correctly, to to look into the matters and starts to appear like they have all participated in this really goofy nonsense ritual where you are supposed to blow into a bottle so that it makes a whistle sound and think about empty man and the empty man should materialize and some shit should happen <laughs> in the next five days. Ooh, not surrender man at all. But anyway, still, it, it was actually, it was way better than I thought it would be. I'm not like jumping into the cult ba- film bandwagon here and, and stating that you should absolutely check it out, but it was okay. And the ideas that it had with, with Talpas and and kind of like, like mental images and ideas such just manifesting and coming to flesh, it was semi-interesting. Not really terrifying or even that scary. It, it has kind of a tense atmosphere, but that's all. But Overall, like, an okay way to pass time, I would say. Not as good as some people make it out to be, but nowhere near as terrible as I thought it would be. All right. Have you heard about this new Finnish horror film? Have you watched it? What's the name again? Which one? Well, it's about some freaking egg that they take into into their apartment. Actually, it's like a big house. And then from that egg comes a creature. Something happens. I've heard it. I was supposed to check it out, but it unfortunately, at least in Lapland, it managed to get out, snuck out of the theaters before I had a chance. I've heard that it's really good. Yeah. And I'm kind of kicking myself in the ass that I did not check it out. And of course, now there is the next Finnish horror film. This is some type of, I guess, co production between Finns and Americans called The Twin, Evil Twin, or Pahakaksonen. Hmm. In his title goes. Also, kind of thinking perhaps I should should check it out just so that I, you know, support the theatrical releases of Finnish horror films. But I, from that one, I haven't yet heard anything. And there is an actually surprising amount of Finnish horror films dating back from the 1920s that we could take a look at at some point. Uh, we could, of course, uh, Finland is a curious country in the sense, when it comes to filmmaking, that usually Finns are only known for its dramas and perhaps occasionally on some crime film. And inside Finland, the Finnish movie uh, movie scene uh, kind of, uh, it builds its identity around its dramas and its, its cop movies, but Throughout the history, there always has been an occasional attempt to make Finnish genre films, like like sci-fi and horror. Especially horror films are something that have come out in Finland. Like you, you had some something in 1991, and then something in 1995, and then something in the early 2000s. And apparently, like this is this is unofficial rumor that I've heard from the industry. But apparently there now is a second age of Finnish genre movies coming out. Mm-hmm. But this is now rumored to be or prophesized to be the moment when, for example, Finnish horror finally would make a break and 
Like we would we would finally have like a third film genre. It's actually called hatching, that film I was talking about. Paha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a the, the Finnish name that is Paha something. Pahan hautoja. Yeah, yeah, that that one. I know I know the movie, but like I said, I missed my chance to see it in theaters. Yeah, maybe later. Uh well I think for this evening I will leave on my part with Japanese story, which is though an Australian romantic film from 2003 directed by Sue Brooks. Yeah, some female representation on the director's palais. And so here we have Tony Collette playing a director who meets a businessman, the Japanese businessman they meet um in in the they actually travel to Pilbara desert and there is like a hope for some kind of a big business deal but they have a bit of a not so good thing going on tony colette is not very excited to explore at first this this japanese guy and he's completely different culture and japanese guy seems to be a complete pain in the ass but then they get to know each other and and things turn into interesting developments and uh, there's a absolutely gargantuan twist and i just have to leave it at that and otherwise i spoil the entire movie but uh, yeah if you're into big twists and surprises and uh, sometimes very touching and very heartfelt moments where kind of two completely different cultures meet and you can get along anyway i'll leave it at that yeah um at first i was like like really do you really want to do this movie and then i accepted it that yeah this was a fun emotional ride so check it out and to close off my list and i have this just so that well at least some we can say that somebody in the lab checked this one out i finally watched the irish man the latest big dick film from you did it. Uh- <laughs> I, I I tried to watch it maybe two or three times. Every time I fell asleep. Yeah, this this is this is Corsese's latest, and uh, <laughs> like I had heard a hell of a lot when the film originally came out. Everybody was like, like, oh my god, Scorsese made a new film, and and it's it's like five years long, and God knows what, and. I, I just somehow postponed it, mostly because the running time is so long. Mm-hmm. So that you really, like, if you want to watch it, you really have to, like, like you have to make a reservation. You have to, like, put it on your calendar that today, during this time, I will start watching The Irishman. Yeah, it's one of those heavy movies that uh, it seems to at least be in the first 20, 25 minutes that I followed it, that it's so information dense that, yeah, this is guy is related to this guy and this is how the relationship goes in the family. I don't fucking care. I don't want to watch this. Yeah. And it was overhyped. Like, it, it's not a bad film in any sense. It's a really good movie. There's, there's good cinematography, actors. Well, of course, you, you have, like, like Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and all, all the basically you you have like like Scorsese main mainstays in it and Scorsese is directing so of course uh, film uh, film wise it's it's well made and like I said it's it's not a bad movie in, in any sense I managed to like I I really dreaded the the running time of the movie 
Mm-hmm. And also the heavy atmosphere, uh, it's heavy atmosphere. But once I finally pressed play, I had to like call my secretary and inform her that I will t- I will not be taking any calls for the rest of the day because I have to watch the Irishman. But finally starting the movie, it actually really captivated me and it I, I just watched it on one go without pauses. So obviously, yeah, the movie worked. But at the same time, it, it's also the case where when it came out, that the hype around the film was so relentless. Everybody was pushing this, pushing this. How how this this now this is the the cinema. And this is Kino. And this is the masterpiece, greatest movie that Scorsese has ever made. And oh my God, where has this movie been all my life? Mm-hmm. And I have to say that it wasn't that. At at least not for me. Like it's a really good, really well made movie, but it wasn't like the best thing since sliced bread and in my opinion it's not also it, it's not Scorsese's best like I liked for example Casino more than I liked the Irishman in my opinion the Irishman in many ways it was kind of extremely traditional Scorsese like it it once again it's it's the film that centers around 40s and 60s it's the the Italian community in, in America it's a it's a gangster film it's a movie that follows the main character, you know, through the decades, and like, like it's something that Scorsese has done in the past. It's actually something that Scorsese strong suit, and that's something that he really likes to do. So in that sense, it it basically like Scorsese wise, this is not some type of a like new groundbreaking, new direction storytelling wise for for him, and. At the same time, I also felt that it, it kind of, when it comes to the story, it wasn't as strong as I perhaps would have, like, or, uh, that I expected it to be, especially, like, taking into co- account all the hype mm. surrounding the movie. So, in many ways, it, it was exactly what I expected it to be from Scorsese, and that was perhaps my biggest problem with the movie kind of takes forever to go anywhere and you already know the road that the movie is going to take this of course partially is because uh, is due to the movie using like real historical figures and therefore also historical events like it has Jimmy Hoffa in it and you immediately know what's going to happen to Jimmy Hoffa it's Jimmy Hoffa for fuck's sake everybody knows the Hoffa case but it it kind of was like treading the 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 waters already seen. And also when it came to the, the deep fake aspect of the movie, which, which also was a was a big number when the movie came out. Because it it has like uh, because it has Robert De Niro and it has Joe Pesci and uh, Harvey Keitel, all of guys who are now in, in the late two hundreds. So well, fucking, fucking obviously, you had to do something to to make them younger, and much in the same way, like well, like Mandalorian with 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 Mark Hamill, it it takes the road of of using CGI and deepfake technologies to to make the cast younger, and the illusion just does not work for me. Like to me, especially Robert De Niro who is the main character and therefore the, the the one 
guy who you have most of of the the CGI's who has uh, facial features of a 30 year old but the body movements of a 70 year old exactly exactly fucking precisely that point and not just body movement but basically the, the every way how he carries his himself like in order to make his body appear younger than it is he kind of a, he he lifts his his shoulders to his ears and he's he's like walking around like like he would have my mandarins or fucking apples in in his armpits <laughs> and it's like at, for for me it just broke broke the illusion and once once you the body movement breaks the illusion then also like like the face kind of a it, it just it, it just kind of a ha, starts to have this this wax like appearance mm. it's it's like at worst it was like like after the illusion was broken for me it was like watching a walking talking wa like wax puppet yeah yeah, and that, that to be smudgy. honest, that was semi-distracting, especially in a in a film that goes over three hours. Yeah, I kind of felt it in the first twenty minutes. Yeah, it's it's something. If it, if it's a problem for you, I I say that you are going to pick up on it pretty quickly because it, it it's not something like it, it's not the case that the effect works for you or that the effect is well done and works perfectly. At beginning, and then somewhere the production would run out of money. They would have to use a lesser CGI, and it would be after that that the effect breaks down. No, it's it's like the, the effect itself. It's a steady, it's a steady production from from start to begin, uh, from start to the end. So if it's going to break break for you, it's going to break from you know from the first like for the first twenty minutes. And it will never recover for you. And that's exactly what happened to me. Like, like the body movement and the, the, the vaxiness of, of De Niro's deep fake face. It, it's just like uh, the wheels just came off from the race car. Yeah. But what you recommend? But, uh, uh, I give it an... Well, fuck. Fuck it. No. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, once again, it's and I'm I'm not saying this from the for the perspective that it's a bad movie, and I'm not saying this simply because you know the deep fake didn't work for me. I'm saying this because, like I said, I don't think it's Scorsese's best. Like, if I would have to recommend Scorsese for you, I would say check out Wolf of Wall Street. I would say check out Casino. I'm not the biggest fan of perhaps. The cut good fellas, which might give you some perspective into into exactly how much you are going to believe me and my opinions about the Irishman, because I I am somewhat what unorthodox when it comes to my relationship with Cor Scorsese. But for me, it's not the best of Scorsese. For me, it actually was, even though it didn't feel like it. But when I'm thinking that the time commitment that you have to make with this movie, I do think that it's over long. Right. That the film spends a hell of a lot of time to to kind of build the characters and and have you like see the everyday life and the gradual kind of a corruption that the main character goes through. And those are, of course, they they are positive attributes. And 
I'm absolutely, I'm 100% certain that most audiences will upload this and say that that's a, exactly what the film should do. You should take time, you should build characters, you should sh show like major emotional uh, things happening to your characters in the long course of time and not just, you know, streamline through it. And those people are absolutely correct, yeah. But at the same time, it's over three hours. And it also means that when it comes to having plot points, there are not as many plot points that you perhaps would expect from over three hour film. There's a lot of like, like just this casual, slow, uh, this is a moment from our main character's life moments in this movie. And I do think, honestly think that some of those are unnecessary. And I do think that it's kind of a vanity on Scorsese's end. Like he, he has deliberately made a hell of a long movie simply because now he was making a movie for Netflix, which means that he was able to do over three hour fil long film. So he also kind of, a, he gave himself the right to slack off in the editorial process and just gotta have these, these slow, almost like empty moments in his film, since that was now a possibility for him. And I do think that that's some, even though it didn't, honestly, it didn't bother me, but I do think that that's a kind of a misservice to the movie. Like, I do think that Casino works better because it's a shorter film, which means that Scorsese has to has to make his tele, uh, storytelling somewhat more tighter and just cut some just a sliver of the fat off from the uh, from the film in that case. And it, it's 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 that extra fat that somewhat does get stuck in my throat in uh, The Irishman. So overall, not a bad film in any sense, but I do think that a, it's overhyped, and I think B, the demand, the commitment that the movie demands of you, perhaps is not completely warranted here. Alrighty then, this almost became kind of a the Irishman the episode and several other movies the episode. This some of these went into a kind of a long form discussion and description, but interesting experiment experiment that we had here uh, maybe we could take this again and who knows this might be a more regular thing what do you think i don't know about the regular thing but perhaps an annual thing mm -hmm. like a yearly catch-up list perhaps could work yeah well the fact i wouldn't is try this every third month or anything like that but perhaps like uh, opening or closing a year catch-up or something like that <clears throat> perhaps work yeah seems to be a good moment to spit out all the things that we couldn't discuss before and yeah maybe it is good for some of our audience who don't want to listen to like reviews for two hours about one movie or something of the sort yeah and we still or at least i managed to be controversial and most likely earn everybody's hate because I was shitting on Scorsese. Well, I don't think you were a special case in, in, in that regard, that you, you were kind of on the edge with the Irishman, or how should I put it? But, you know, most of the, I guess, the big critics applauded the film to hell. Yeah, at least applause were the only thing that I heard when the movie originally came out. 
Mm. Okay, well, this was episode 149, so that can only mean one thing. Jesus Christ, we are meeting the next Master Battery Celebration episode. Yeah, well, this is a lot of special episodes in a row, let's say. But I guess we're going to take it a little easier in the next one as well. Yeah, there's no point in breaking the tradition and making super heavy episode when we are celebrating once again one milestone with the podcast. Mm-hmm. We can get back into the regular schedule right after that one, like episode 151. Yeah, and uh, we, yeah, we've been doing this again for quite some time. We're not far off from the four years mark now of doing this. I guess it's time to say a few couple of words before we continue with business as usual. And we've been having kind of pretty hectic times in our private lives, so it kind of warrants uh, kind of easygoing episodes right now, let's say. I would absolutely agree with you on that one. Yeah. Well, I'm going to relax after this recording a bit. Gonna go to the Philippines for one month. Ah, goddamn! I'm so envious of you. Well, I don't know how envious at least you would be if you would hear how much of a pain in the ass it's been to organize this trip during COVID times, especially. Well, but then again, you know, it's, it's Philippines. It's the Philippines. It's sun and it's it's beaches and. Exotic fruit and all of that. Yeah. Most likely also cheap boy toys or something. Cheap what? <laughs> boy toys. Yeah. But, but. Let's see how this goes. Let's see where we record next. That's our headache. But. Yeah. Thanks for this one. It was fun. Thanks for joining us. See you in a fortnight. On the other end. Yeah, I got this now.